Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest is a singer, songwriter, and full-on pop icon. He's absolutely magnetic and totally hilarious as an individual. He's always making me laugh. He's great to talk to every time. We discuss coming out and whether we need to, the ever so sensitive subject of cultural appropriation, overcoming addiction, how Buddhism helps him calm, and how I once met the Queen while standing in shit. Interesting. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And yeah, hope you get something good from it, people. Here is Boy George. Hello, George. Hello, Joss. Where are you? I am in Devon for once. That's Thank nice. God. Where are you? I'm in uh, Mornington Crescent, not so glamorous. Have you been locked down there for a while? Uh, well, I sort of was in Australia at the beginning of lockdown and I came back just before they shut everything down in London. So I was on my own in central London for about three months. And then I moved to uh, North London because my house is actually being refurbished right now. So I couldn't go home, which would have been ideal. So I've been sort of renting mostly properties belonging to famous people. Of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So I can now say I've slept in the same bed as James Corden, Emma Stone. Oh my um, God. Orlando Bloom. That's (gasps) been years coming. bed sheets. Wow. Were they all silk? (laughs) No, they were cotton. They were cotton, but I'm not sure if they actually slept in the same bed. But one has to assume if you're Orlando Bloom, you're going to sleep in the master room. Yes, one of those massive, long, big beds where you can fit like eight or ten people. Well, I don't share a bed. I don't like to share a bed. Do you not? No, I'm not, not even the queen. with someone that you love so much. I love them so much. I don't want them to have to put up with me snoring the entire night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair enough. That's actually quite considerate of you, I'd say. It's nice to do the starfish. Sleeping is, a, you know, it's a time to sleep. I don't need to be lying, you know, do what you need to do and then move to another room. Do you know what? It was <laughs> something <laughs> awful happened the other night. I got really upset because I I kind of leant over to just kind of touch my boyfriend's arm. I was having a dream and I was like, oh, where is he, Cody? And I touched his arm and it really pissed him off in the middle of his sleep. And I was like, babe, will you hold my hand? And he went, oh, for God's sake, get off me. I'm trying to sleep. And he just, I guess he was in a bad dream and I was in a really good dream. I think that, you know, my sort of rules avoid those sorts of incidents. (laughs) I think it's a good idea. It works for the Queen. Look how long she's been in business. Yeah, exactly. That is so true. I think we should all take some something out of the Queen's book, personally. Absolutely. I love Queenie. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think she's awesome. Yeah, I think she's pretty amazing. I've never met the Queen. Have you met the Queen? Oh, my God, George. 
I have the worst story. Yes, I met the Queen. Right. So I just think she's amazing um, and represents our country with such class. So I sang for her at her birthday. It was like the Jubilee. And they had all of these horses come in from all around the world to perform for her. And after my song, which was the last one, I come off stage and, you know, I, I sing um, I sing barefoot just because I can't be bothered to put shoes on. So I come off stage, they're like, Just you have to get in the lineup to meet the Queen, otherwise you're going to miss it. And I was like, all right, but I need to get my shoes on. They're like, no, no, just go now. So I run through piles and piles of horseshit to get to the Queen. And then I'm stood there with my feet literally in horseshit. And the queen comes up and I'm like, oh God, I hope she doesn't notice. And I just do this cute little curtsy and nothing was said. No, hello, nothing. She just moved on. I was like, oh my God. I was just thinking as you were telling me that story, this is a song that's writing itself. That's the best opening line to a pop song I've heard in years. I ran through horseshit to meet the queen. Oh my God. God, it's terrible. Yeah, we need to do some writing, for sure. How's um, how's your music coming? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of writing, actually, and I've been really, um, you know, obviously I work with a lot of people virtually, so I've got mm. all these different cats that send me backing tracks and mm. vibes and, you know, in different sort of stages of, of readiness. And um, I just sit and play them and play them and just invent stories. You know, some of it yeah. is my own stuff you know there's a lot of stuff that I've been through that I can always draw on if I'm in need of a moment of tragedy there's always yeah, a, a corner exactly. that I can pull something from it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm unhappy or that I'm feeling that way at the time but you know but you can draw on those things and also you can kind of I think sometimes be a bit more objective and a bit more mm. surreal when you've got a bit of space from a moment you know mm, that's so true um I was reading something about you and it might be absolute you know, absolutely not true, as we know the press kind of do that. But I heard that you you kind of turned to Buddhism to get through your recovery from heroin. Is that is that right? Or is that just completely uh, not true? Well, it's, it's an interesting one because when I most needed it and could have used it, I rejected it. Oh. And then I was kind of going through, I was in a really good place a few years ago, like nine years ago. I just got clean and I just felt something was missing from my life. And I kept bumping into all these old friends of mine that I'd met at Buddhist meetings. And so I just thought, oh. the universe is trying to tell me something. And I started chanting again, you know, and I didn't really understand the power of, of what it was. And, and certainly, even now, actually, I'm still learning, mm. you know, the power of those words and just and what they mean. And, you mm. know, the whole point of chanting is to kind of resonate with the sort of frequencies of the universe. It sounds completely pretentious but it sounds kind of lovely though it sounds meditative is it does it, it put is, you into it a is. sort of trance or it is if you if you um what you're supposed to do is chant for your heart's desires what it is you really want okay you know and that's okay if it's a car you know um but you'll probably find that once you've sort of had a good chant it's not really the car that you're after it's the sort of maybe the feeling that the car leaves you with you know the sort of yeah. sense of superiority or whatever it may be or you know up in your own worth or whatever but I think that when you chant you get to you get to where you need to get to in terms of what you're trying to mm. what you're trying to connect with so I find it really powerful and you know because I've been working for the last year um with a with an amazing acting coach 
Um, not because I want to act, because I wanted to kind of improve my on-stage confidence in a way. I wanted to kind of just, I don't know, I wanted to see whether I could find some other edges to propel yeah. me forward. And so through doing that, I've actually worked a lot more with language than I ever did because I got kicked out of school. So I don't have any quali- I don't have any qualifications. That- High five. I don't even, I don't <laughs> even have GCEs. I mean, it's shocking. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? So- and you managed to get a job anyway. I managed to, yeah, get a few jobs, but they weren't jobs I wanted though. I I guess (laughs) music, being a musician is a bit of a job because you always end up working for someone, but that's true. I I don't think about it as a, I don't think about it as I did about working stocking the shelves at Tesco. Yeah, yeah, it's a different type of job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's all about levels of compromise, you know, with, with anything that you do, you know. Yeah, yeah. So with the Buddhism thing, have you, you've taken on the chanting, it's definitely helped. Are there other aspects of it, um, like the karmic? I know I hear a lot about karma with Buddhism and sometimes, yeah. sometimes I feel like the karma thing goes a little bit far. So like you've got people that are born without a working body and maybe somebody that was deep into Buddhism might believe that they deserve it because of their karma yeah. from a, a last life. But then also karma can be a really beautiful idea to place into your life so then you treat people well so I I wonder how deeply you've looked into that well I think you know I've had those conversations and they you know I'm sure like yourself you know when I hear people saying things like that it makes my whole body kind of contort you know what they're trying to tell you is that life is brutal and life is you know life is challenging and but I don't know I, I would always remove the accusation out of that statement and say In my understanding of the word karma, it just means action. But I actually think karma is about in the moment. It's about now because, I mean, and the universe. You know, I went back into therapy during lockdown. I've done a lot of therapy over the years, but I I foolishly thought I didn't need any (laughs) more. We all need a bit of therapy. (laughs) And I have to say that, you know, it's, um, you know, I think the word karma is really a useful word in, in, in what I'm about to say now because... Although I'm very smart and I understand that, you know, um, madness is doing the same thing over and over and thinking you're going to get a different result. In theory, I get it, but it's so easy to slip back into what you're familiar with and what you do and what you know. Comfort. And, you know, I think that what I've been learning in the last few months is to really understand my own patterns of behaviour and why I do the things I do and why I say the things I say. And I have to say that even though I've worked on this stuff before, I feel like at this point in my life, and maybe because of this gift of solitude and isolation, is that, you know, I've been sort of forced to spend time with myself outside of the matrix. You know, you and I, we work hard. We're always Mm -hmm. on tour. You know, we're we're always busy. Yeah, We're always busy. and, And, you know, sometimes with emotions, you know, you can put it in a song and then you put it over here. You, you chuck it to the side. I've contained that in a melody, yes. dealt with that emotion. And, and, you you know, you get to sing it out on stage and you couldn't always be in that state of mind if you were if you were up on stage, you know, singing whatever, some heartbreak song that you've written. You yeah. know, sometimes you have to kind of put a little bit of acting in because you're having a great day. And yeah. it is a quite mad, it is quite a mad process, you know, performing and songwriting. Yeah, I think it can be, it, it can be our therapy, but then like now, because it, that's been halted for us, the performance yeah. aspect of it, it's kind of like, no, you can't have that anymore. Not for a year. 
And it feels a little bit weird because that's our moment to really kind of express ourselves and go, oh, let me get this out. But one of the luxuries of this time, I mean, you know, um, I met with a friend of mine last week who at the beginning of the lockdown was very much anti, you know, every aspect of it. I'm being controlled, la, 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 to a point where when I met him last week, you know, he was he was in a Zen state and he was saying, as I've been saying, yeah. this pandemic has been, you know, a good thing for some people and it's been terrible for other people. And no, yeah. you know, you just want to be careful, you know, when people say, oh, I have to wear a mask and oh, I can't go out. And it's like, really, you know, some people have been on their own for months and, and they have no one no one to help them, no one to cry to. So yeah. it's also about getting things in perspective. And and, and mm. it makes, personally, it makes me realise how lucky I am mm. and how privileged I am and that I shouldn't take that for granted. So in that way, it's been a good thing. And, you know, I've been able to kind of work on some sort of personal stuff, you know, and, and just kind of look at myself a bit and write some beautiful music. And I always think that that sort of, when you start to explore yourself, emotionally you know you can you can start writing some really interesting lyrics you know and I think that is is great you know because obviously as a writer mm. you're always you don't really want to be repeating yourself you always want to find new ways to look at love you know that's <laughs> so true isn't it oh the time like it, to write you know if we don't like it's have a, the like time. it's a mountain that you have to climb it's like well I've tried that way up let me try this way up and yeah you know it's interesting I think it's true. And everything seems to revolve around love. You know, when we start, you know, writing a song about, I don't know, driving your car to work and that's about it. It just doesn't have the the deepness that we're looking for. It feels like love is it. Love is the reason. Mark Boland had a great lyric about cars. It was like, I had a car, it was old, it was kind. I gave it my mind and it disappeared. So oh. I think if you're going to write about cars, you can only do it in a surreal. <laughs> yeah. I was driving in my car. Oh, my car hates me. Whatever, you know, if you're going to go down a country route, you know, you yeah. can go down that way. But I, yeah. I think what I've discovered, not, not in the last year, but in the last couple of years, mm. I've sort of learned to get out of my own way creatively because in the old days when I was writing a song, you know, it was like such a process. I'm going to sit down and write a song and it's got to be this, and it's got to be that. And actually now I just kind of don't think about that. I think about what I want to say. Mm. What are the lyrics? What's the opening line? You know, what's the, what's the best opening line? And you, know, you think about all these great songs that we love, you know, you think, oh yeah, but that, that opening line is just the best, you know. Yeah. And then the and rest of like dominoes. Conversational. You know, as you know, I came to see you doing Burt Bacharach and oh, um yeah. <laughs> it was just so beautiful to, you know, those songs are so embedded in our psyche. We know those songs, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think I told you at the time I just want to give you a compliment because I liked how you were really respectful to what they were. And then occasionally you chucked in this little Josh moment that was like, okay, <laughs> no, just, it was nice. It was really nicely done. And I know that you, yeah. you've, you've got some words and all of that, but it was for the audience. <laughs> I have to say that I don't know if anybody else other than you even oh. cared about, you know, that. It I was felt just, so embarrassed after that show. I'm so glad that you came, but I'm also like, you had no it, need why did to he do have to come to that one? <laughs> no, I was, you know, I had such a different experience because I, you know, I know you as a belter. I know you as this big voice, you know, soul mm -hmm. goddess. And then to hear you doing such tender 
Burt Baccarat songs was a revelation, I have to say. I thought it was amazing. Aww. I was tweeting I was tweeting our mutual friend James Gardner Bateman saying, Oh my god, she's really amazing. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> no, really. Oh, you are really lovely. a great singer. Oh, Technically <laughs> one of the best voices in this country, I will say. Oh, come on. I don't know about that. No. But that's very, no. very sweet. No, I'm not being sweet at all. When you came into the studio and I heard you on the mic, and I know you'd been having a drink that day. Oh no, I know. Do you know what? I never normally sing when I drink, but I thought we we just kind of fancy popping in to see you. <laughs> it was it was it was oh, a great that was thing. Fun. It was on a par with Elton John playing piano with Mark Boland. That was what it was like for me. It was <laughs> oh, good. That's so and nice. you sound amazing on the track, and I won't ever tell anyone it's you. No, never tell anyone. <laughs> no, don't, because I sound very croaky. <laughs> you sound we amazing, have to do more. honestly. We should, we should <laughs> do more. Because it, it's like joy making. It's fun, isn't it? To just have a little laugh in the studio. You know, making music is a big thing for general happiness, I think. I was thinking about that, you know, because obviously at the moment I'm doing a few collaborations with people here, there, and, mm. you know, um, it's always a bit difficult to get those things to work because people... You know, being an artist is such a singular thing, isn't it? It's like yeah. you've got to protect your little, you know, your universe that you've created. And so, you know, drawing someone into that circle, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, Joss, but finding people that you connect with musically, you know, not just in a, yes. in, a in the way they play an instrument, but just who they are, sort of getting you a little bit, you know, like they just get you. Yeah. That you don't have to have those really boring conversations. You know? The small Just... talk in between writing each line. It's like, oh God, no, this is not vibing. It's actually kind of an intimate thing. It can get that way. I don't know about you, but, you know, it's easy to fall in love with somebody that you're making music with. It can happen if you do it for too long. <laughs> that happened to me, actually. You know, oh, wow, he plays the bass so amazing or the lyrics or the melody. Oh, my God, I actually am in love with him. And really, he could be a total arsehole. But you just love the music. I think when people are talented, it adds an extra kind of, you know, a sort of a layer of sensuality to their existence. Yeah, it's And true. actually, if you're, you know, if you're an amazing musician, you don't even have to be pretty. <laughs> it's true. You just have to be in a motor. That's it. Um. So, okay, Rich told me earlier a little quote from Johan Hari. He says, the antidote to addiction is connection. Now, I don't know whether he means spiritually or physically, but you are very good at spending time on your own and being happy in your own company through the lockdown. How has that been? Have you been around people or have you had somebody to like hug and have that connection with or does it even matter? And, you know, I could do with some advice on this because I am crap on my own, like crap. I feel like not happy. I think the thing about the lockdown is that what it does is, you know, in normal circumstances, someone like me would have the spontaneity to, if I fancied seeing someone, that that was an option. Yes. Whereas now, because of this, you know, that all the spontaneity has been removed from, from meeting people and arranging things. And, you know, you can't just go and grab a coffee. It's got to be a whole It's like quarantine for two weeks, baby, and then I'll see you later. Yeah, so <laughs> I've been... It's a bit weird. <laughs> it's interesting. At the beginning of the lockdown, I was talking to certain people a lot mm -hmm. and then other people not at all. And then some of those people drifted away. I went online. I did some online raves that were oh, insane. Wow. That's I did crazy. these Zoom raves and I was in my hotel room in Piccadilly, like just freaking wow. out to some old school house. And That's mad. So hang on a minute. 
I need to understand what that is. So everyone's online in their own house. Everyone's in their living room and so out I was the music. DJing. I was DJing and then someone else DJed and Oh my god. We How were fun. raving. And sometimes it was just like 200 people and they were people from Peckham. That's so cool. Leeds, there were people of San Francisco. It was really a hoot, but it couldn't happen now. It wouldn't nobody would have the motivation to do it. So the connection was there. It was just there in odd ways. Well, I think because you mentioned in your in your question, you know, the, the connection to addiction, I think what I would say about connectedness is that doing drugs is about not being in your life. You know, it's about disconnecting from your life. Yeah. And I think recovery is about reconnecting. So making a connection, I think, is a pivotal way back to sort of a form of sanity, you know. And mm. I've, I think that word is true. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, you get told a lot in early recovery is not to isolate, don't cut yourself off. So, you know, what, what is good is to know that there are people that you can talk to. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I've learned to be on my own more as I've got older. You know, I live alone. I like living alone. I often have people to stay, but I do like it when they leave. Yeah. Um, you know, I like everyone to have a return ticket when they arrive. It's nice to have your own space, isn't it? <laughs> With a date on it. When are you leaving? Brilliant. Let's have a great time. <laughs> you know, because I've had situations over the years where people have come to stay and never left. And it's been, I've had a few wastes and strays over the years. But yeah, it's nice to have your own mm. space. And I think that it's made us reach out more to people. And yeah, it's been interesting who wanted to chat and who didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. It seems that when we talk about happiness, and I've been doing a lot of that recently because of this podcast, mm. there is kind of like an open-armed feeling from people that are interested in bettering their happiness. And these type of people, they'll maybe read self-help books or there'll be people that meditate already or there'll be someone that does a breathing technique or whatever. They're very open to it. But yeah. those people are kind of on their way. Now, those that are really struggling with their mental health, really struggling with, say, something tangible like an addiction, a grief um, of a loss, or they might have lost their job, not just a person, you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like these people can get into a place where they feel like there's no hope and there's no chance. And even the conversation or the suggestion that one can help nurture themselves and make themselves happy actually pisses them off something chronic not only do they not want to hear it they'll just be pissed off they'll be like fuck off lady i'm not going to be happy and i'm not hearing it how do you how do we deal with that i think it's safe to say that self-realization is a luxury of a certain type of person you know i, I understand that but you know at the same time there are smart wise spiritual people all they over the place in, mm. no, but there are people, you know, in the strangest places that you, I think we're all, what we do as human beings is we're all ready to rush and judge someone sure. based on what they look like, their social class, their colour, whatever it may be. Totally, yeah. And, you know, very often we're so wrong, you know, and you have to kind of look back at people and just go, actually, I got that completely wrong. And, and you know, mm. equally some people that might seem very alluring and exciting <laughs> turn out to be a dreadful disappointment <laughs> when you get too close. Yeah, it can happen. <laughs> so I think, I think that, you know, 
Yes, listen, in my own family, there's been a lot of eye rolling over the years when I turn up with my latest, you know, yoga mat or prayer book. Or... They're like, oh, for God's sake, here he comes with his joy. <laughs> when I was on Mrs. Brown last year with my mum, my mum was so funny. She was like, I think he's a vegetarian this week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just because they're so used to. But you know what? I think that looking at these things is a way of just getting more out of life, you know, just breathing, mm. you know, I have to say, it's funny you're talking about breath work because the last year I've basically become a nose breather and that make, makes some people laugh, but, a nose you know, breather. I've actually been practicing this Butiaka breathing. And in fact, Ooh. James, James Gardner Bateman was the person that told me about this because I was talking to him about my asthma ah. and he said, Oh, I did this as a kid. So I started to look into it and, I think what I didn't realise when I started to do breath work was what a multifaceted thing breathing is, that there's all types of breathing. You've mm. got Wim Hof breathing, which is vigorous. It's like going for a jog. Then you've got, you know, soma breathing. So I've been exploring all the different sort of, you know, breathing techniques. And, you know, obviously I meditate. So yeah. slowing down the breath in and out of the nose has been so helpful in terms of clearing my mind. But... What happens is that people generally go to something like that out of desperation, you the know, breathing. and anything that, that might be, you know, not a pill or a, a drink okay. or, you know, a quick fix, anything that might involve you getting involved with your own well-being is mm. often resisted because we live in a society that has given us so many ways to avoid what we feel. Somebody once said to me, you should get therapy before you need it. And I think that's very wise advice. That is true, you know. I was reading something about um, relationship therapy early in a relationship. So if you found somebody that you really decide, actually, I really want to be with this person, even if you've only been with them for six months or a year, and it was, you know, go to relationship therapy now when you're really early just to see what's going on. You know, it's nice. I love a bit of therapy. I think it's a beautiful thing to do, just to analyse yourself. Well, when you start to realise, I think that, a lot of us, I don't know about your your childhood, or, but mine was very, you know, explosive. You know, I grew up with a very violent father, you know, and you never oh, knew really? what was going to happen from one day to oh. the next. So, you know, I've always learned to be defensive before, you know, before I need to be. Oh, <laughs> so okay, interesting. I've got my gloves on before the fight your started. Up. You're ready. Exactly. And, and I think just learning learning about that stuff is so helpful in terms of changing patterns and, and, and saying, actually, maybe if I do this. Now, listen, there's no guarantee that if you start acting differently, the other person is going to respond. But at least you know that it's a different conversation at that point. You know, mm -hmm. if you're loving and vulnerable with somebody and they, and they take advantage of that, then obviously then you have to have another conversation. But there's nothing to lose from... Mm self-development and and meditation you don't you know spending time with yourself is the most difficult thing to do and certainly people have been experiencing that during this pandemic you know but meditation is is like I choose to just be silent for 20 minutes give my head a chance give my brain a chance to shut up <laughs> it's so hard isn't it I try right I'm like okay Joss you know practice what you preach give it a go have a meditation moment okay I'm sat there after two minutes, I'm like, 
I'm bored. My brain's going off into a tangent. And, oh, it's such such a difficult thing to do. Try a, a, a guided meditation is really good when someone, if you find the right person that can guide you to talk you through it, that could be a great way to get into, you know, sort of taking instruction and just, you know, learning to breathe slowly. Mm. But, you know, I think artists, we struggle with this idea of not doing something. It's like, I, I need to be busy, you know, even yeah. if I'm not singing, I've got to write something or I've got to call this one, I've got to do this. So yeah. we've got this compulsion to create and, and it's very difficult to get away from that. But I actually think meditation is, oh my God, I love it. I just, you know, I, there's one of my favourite people is this guy, Eckhart Tolle. He's this um, sort of spiritual teacher and he's, sometimes when he's talking, he just stops mid-sentence and just completely goes quiet. He's like... <laughs> and he has a moment, a calming and, and, moment. You know, you can practice that stuff where you go, I'm just not going to think for a minute. Huh. It's not very helpful when you're doing a podcast, actually. No. <laughs> just going to have I'm a little moment, George, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think, and also I think that, listen, if somebody, if somebody gets angry that you're trying to offer them a solution out of a hole, you know, that, yeah. that may be the reason why they're in the hole. <laughs> exactly. But this is the thing. It's like, you've got this whole preaching to the choir thing that's so unhelpful because everyone's already on board. But then what about the people that are genuinely suffering? And it's a bit of a conundrum in my mind, really, because I just want to yeah. send them. I It was something I was talking to a guy, Arthur Brooks, the other day, and he studies happiness and writes for the Washington Post. He's like a really smart guy. And at the end, he was talking about the Dalai Lama and what he was about. And he goes, just wash it with love. If you just wash everything with love, it's going to get better. It will, it will have a positive. So that's what I want to do for people that are suffering is somehow send that good vibe and that hug. But, you know, you're only ready when you're ready. And I think, I think we all know that, certainly yourself, but you have to come to it when you're ready. I've got a really good example of, you know, years ago when I was going through my difficult times, mm. you know, um, and there's been a few. <laughs> I can't pick one, but there's been a few. I remember people used to say, I'll pray for you. And I would be so offended. I'd just be like, why are you praying for me? I tell you. you. Take your prayer and shove it up now, now I am like, literally like, get your friends to pray. I love that. I'm just like, because I have a different relationship with myself and I mm. don't see that as a negative. Whereas I used to see it as a, oh, yeah. you know, you're a God so person, therefore you're judging me. And actually, you know, some people, you know, like myself will take aspects of, of a faith or, or an idea mm. and think, yeah, that sits really well with me, but I don't agree with that part. And I don't yeah. agree with that part. And I think that's what you do. You leave out the bits that don't sit with you. You're like, I don't agree with that. You know, yeah. I don't think all gay people should be damned to hell. Sorry, because I'm one of them. So I think you always have to be objective with religion, with music, with food, mm. all of those things. You always have to use a certain amount of discretion, I think. Otherwise, it's just following, I guess, a set of rules blindly without thinking, which can be quite dangerous. Even the Buddha said, question everything I say. Question yeah. it. That's nice. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I was going to say about happiness. I mean, you know, if somebody had asked me years ago and people said, are you happy? I used to think it was a really bizarre question. I'd be like, what do you mean? Am huh. I happy? I don't know. Am I? It's such a huge question. <laughs> yeah. As now I actually do think you can invest in happiness. You can mm -hmm. actually make a choice, whatever the situation, to find 
you know, a rainbow in the dark or whatever it may be, or just find some bit of humour. I mean, that's one great thing about being a homosexual is that you can mm. always draw on your vast <laughs> legacy and and laugh at yourself in a way that some people just can't, you know. Um, no one sends himself up better than a gay man, you know, that you just know what to say in the darkest yeah. moments to kind of break the humour. And, you know, I think it is important to understand that happiness mm -hmm. just like being unhappy is yes of course circumstances can force you into misery of course and if you've got no money no job and all the rest of it but there are people you know you go to places like India and you see people living in absolute squalor yeah, yeah. and they have so much love and humility and soul about them um so you said about your dad being a little bit rather aggressive. Um, yes. I wanted to ask you about coming out. Um, so I guess my question is, do you think that people should have to come out at all? Because I can't imagine sitting my parents down at 15 and going, mum, dad, I want you to know that I would like to sleep with men over women. I just want to let you know. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that awkward conversation. And I can imagine my mum going, Joss, you can keep your sex life to yourself, love. Thank you very much. So well, I think that is pretty much what does happen. I think what do you mean? Within the gay community? Or certainly not within the straight community. No, when I was a kid, you know, um, my sexuality was pointed out to me by other kids when I was six years old. I, I didn't know that I was different or gay. Oh, so they told you. <laughs> of course, kids have got this unnerving ability to poke you where it hurts, you know. I mean, if you're a kid at school mm -hmm. and you're a little bit feminine, you like pop music, you hang out with girls, you know, the message is loud and clear. Oh, right. you're not one of us. You don't want to climb trees. So often you don't have to have that awkward conversation because everybody knows. <laughs> so, oh, so you didn't like, have to have the, the kind of situation with your dad, I wonder. No, well, well actually, I did have a, when I got I got arrested when I was 15. Okay. I was going tell. to meet a man that I was seeing and he was older than me and I was definitely, what we were doing was in the eyes of the law, completely illegal, but in my eyes it was fine. And I was having a sort of fling with this man and I went to meet him. He'd been on holiday and mm -hmm. I decided to march up to Heathrow Airport, you know, Aww. and meet him off the plane. He hadn't asked me to. How romantic. <laughs> and no, when I wasn't because I got arrested. And <laughs> oh no! The police were like, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 17. They were like, yeah, right. And so... So you got arrested for meeting a man at 16? No, I got arrested for being at Heathrow Airport without a good excuse. Oh, um, I see what being you're... Being underage. Okay. And then they sort of searched me and they found some letters from my my suitor. And um, they realised quite really this was a, you know, a gay relationship. And then they called my father and told him. Oh, so is that how he found out? Yes, although I think he knew because, he, you know, um, I was very, very feminine when I was young. I was listening to Shirley Bassey when I was like 10, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, it makes sense. Um, I think sometimes you don't need to tell your family because you sort of wear what you are so evidently and the music you listen to and the things that you're interested on telling, you know, the things that would make your brothers leave the room are the things that make you sit there and stare. You know, the first time I ever saw... Quentin mm. Crisp, you know, the naked civil servant. That was a sort of mind-blowing moment for me. So I never really had to have that, you know, mom, by the way. You know, I mean, I, at some point I confirmed it and said, yes, I'm gay. Right. Um, 
Um, but my dad was incredibly cool about it, weirdly. That's nice. Sounds like you got lucky on that one. I've heard I some really horrible stories, coming out stories. Yeah. A friend of mine went to gay conversion therapy in America. And well, he sent himself awful. there. And he is, honestly, he is so accepting of everybody. He's the most beautiful, lovely, yeah. smiley, gorgeous human being now. But at the time, I think he just hated himself. And I think that obviously is an issue that we have to address. Yeah, I think one of the important things to say about that is, is obviously when you're a kid, mm. there isn't, you know, on the menu of when you're born, there's not a choice of gay transgender straight right. you know you, you are what you are you get born with with what you've got yeah and you know you grow up sort of trying to suppress that that part of you and not really understanding because you don't necessarily have that many social references so you're like well what is this thing that's inside mm. of me and you know blah 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 and I think that by the time you are able to kind of make a decision and thankfully kids are coming out much younger now you know and you see yeah. They've got an incredible confidence because the social context is very different now. You know, they've got things on the TV they can relate to. Yeah. Um, but still, I think, you know, what you hear about yourself as a kid, if you hear your brothers talking about pufters and right. queers and Nellies, you get a quick idea about what, you know, coming out will entail. Mm. So, you know, you wait until it's <laughs> to the point where, you know, you almost explode out of the closet. <laughs> But I think that also, I also think that, you know, how you feel about yourself is the starting point with all of these things. Because, you know, obviously what you've been taught about yourself as a kid is very powerful, you know. And if you hear negative stuff about what you are, then you obviously grow up with some insecurities about that. But, mm. you know, I always say to gay people, once you start accepting what you are and loving what you are, it's incredible how much the world just kind of adapts around you. Mm. ACAST recommends LGBTQ plus creators who are making an impact this month and beyond. Tune in for your new favorite show. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like Below Deck, Love is Blind, and TLC's big messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. Okay, please tell me y'all are watching this new season of 90 Day with Bilal, Emily, Mohammed. It's the mess season yet. And you know you need your gay besties to talk about all the drama and cringe jam-packed into every episode. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you get your podcast. Reality Gaze. Let's blow. A cash recommends. You know, you can change it by saying, well, this is who I am and this is, you know, it's not better or worse than anyone else. It's just what I am. And it, that feeling spreads to the person that you're dealing with. Yeah, and usually, I think so. if the person you're dealing with is an arsehole, then you don't want to talk to them anyway. <laughs> I was about to say steer clear of all arseholes, but um... <laughs> but not all. But um, bum. Sorry, yep. mum. <laughs> it's her fault. Oh my god. Oh god. 
Now, okay, I know that you are well known for being very outspoken, which I think is awesome. And I think that that is partly why you are so inspiring to so many people across the world. You're just so brave and beautiful and everybody loves that. So it, it moves people to be able to speak what's on their mind. But now we've got this really mad time where we have to be ever so, ever so careful. We don't have to be, but a lot of people are. Yes. Do you think that we should be more careful now? Or should we just continue on with our honesty? You know, is it important to be PC? I think, I don't see why we need to fight to insult each other. That's the thing. I got no issue with that. Like, you know, as someone that grew up being called all sorts of names, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think there's anything endearing about, you know, making nasty comments about people. However, I don't want to live in a world where there's no humour. You know, when I said recently to someone that, as far as I'm concerned as a gay man, somebody calling me a puff is very different from somebody trying to kill me or somebody trying to stop me from working or somebody trying to destroy my career. That's not the same as somebody calling me a puffter. And as someone who grew up with the press saying that about me, I mean, there was headlines, wow, is it a man, really? is it a woman? Oh yeah, I mean, I could show you hundreds of things, but really? he's a puff with muscles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people don't understand. How times have changed. They have changed. You know, I think what it is actually is about adjusting to a new way of behaving Uh and, you know, and saying, actually, yeah, it's okay. I don't need to get upset about not being able to say this. But the worry with that, I think, is that if everybody's saying what they think they should say, Mm. where does sincerity go? Where does, you know, where does objectivity hide? And that's the problem. And I think that anyone who's sort of a critical thinker or anyone who reads books, anyone who you know loves music, is going to feel that way. It's going to feel like, well, you know, I like I like troublemakers. I like someone with an axe to grind. You know, Chrissy Hind. I, I think mm, it's good right. to have regrets. Rupert Everett. We like honesty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. I like, but you know, honesty and cruelty are not the same. Although I do like good. I do like quite strong humour. You know, I've been the victim of some strong humour and it doesn't bother me because I've got tough skin. You know, I don't mind if somebody makes a joke about me as long as I can make one back. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I do think there is a bit of a balance that we need to strike on that one. But I think if you're smart, you'll get through it. Yeah, if you're smart and also if you're kind, if you have a heart, you have to have a heart. But not everybody sees the heart, so... The internet is the dangerous factor here because what it does is it takes away the pause from saying what you want to say. And what mm. happens is that the sort of things we might say at home with our family in front of the TV, we're now saying to people in real life, you know, I know you've got fat. It? It's, <laughs> this is crazy. You no, know, no, no. <laughs> you know, you're old, you know, all this sort of stuff that people come out with. It's hilarious and you just think, you know, I, I try to be oh, quite surreal God. with people that insult me. If, if somebody insults me in a way that makes me laugh, um, I sometimes follow them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've been, called, I've been called some funny things before and I've just thought, that is so funny. I've got to follow this person. And, oh, you know, you are um, good. Well done. How did, you, how did you manage that? I just think it's, you know, I suppose it's that Gemini thing of being able, there's mm. twins and one side is laughing and the other side is upset. <laughs> Right, yeah. You know, it's just finding the space in the middle. The Gemini thing, um, my very first boyfriend was a Gemini and 
I remember I was really young. I'm like talking like, for, I don't know, 13, 14. And I loved him so much. I thought he was a wonderful, gorgeous person. And then every now and then he would just change on me and shock me and be like this, this other person. Is that quite common with Geminis? I think being a Gemini and being a performer is a problem because, you know, as yes. performers, we're used to getting applause for everything we do. When you meet somebody that t- doesn't applaud you, you go like, why are you, you know, I think that it makes you very insecure being a performer and being a Gemini, I think, is is not helpful. But but if you become a better Gemini, mm-hmm. there's no one better to go out with. You know, if you're a better, a balanced Gemini that sort of got a bit of a, a bit of a take on their own sort of accountability, able to sort of see themselves a bit like a, a moving camera. I think in that case, we can be the best friends and we can be the best, you know, we're very, we're, we're naturally kind, but we mm-hmm. do have that schizo, <laughs> schizo element. <laughs> it's quite exciting being around a Gemini. It really is. You never know what's going to happen and you never know when it, when it's going to happen. It could be like a year from now or <laughs> it's kind of exciting. You're quite into your star signs, right? Yeah, I'm into... I remember talking to Brian Cox, Dr. Brian Cox, and mm-hmm. he just was so like, yeah, it's just a lot of old rubbish and, yeah. you know. I said, well, that's typical for an Aquarian to say that. No. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that there are characteristics of certain signs, and I see that a lot in my own life where, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people like, I look around me and I suddenly think, oh my God, I said to someone the other day, if you run out of Aquarians, call me because I'm surrounded by them. And I also always meet Libran men. Libran men always seem to be allured to me. They always, you know, I can almost say to a man, I bet you're a Libran and it it, it blows people's minds. But Do you find that Librans are very funny? I find they're really humorous. Yeah, I mean, I think think what I would say about Librans is that well, they can hold a grudge like no one on earth. But Oh, that's so true. They can so hold a grudge true. like no one, like literally like to the point where I fell out with somebody who was a Libran about 20 years ago and they still hate me now. Oh no, really? And it's, yeah, and it's incredible. And you think really, you t- I mean, I've never feud with anybody for more than, all right, four years. <laughs> okay, that's I long. Could do I could do four <laughs> years, but eventually I'll just get over it. I just, I can't, oh I God. can't hold grudges against people. The longest I've people. done is a year, but it wasn't, yeah, it was like, oh, you know, the upset still exists, but I love you anyway. You know. Eventually, you know, you just get to a point where you go, why are we, why, why are, we are we hating this? each other? Like, yeah, really? so silly. You know. It doesn't yeah, help anything. Uh, it doesn't. It adds we nothing. We must wash it with love, consistently. Exactly. Even if the person is a complete twato, wash them with love. <laughs> no, the, the, problem with that, <laughs> the problem with that point of view is they might be feeling exactly the same about you. you know? I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if we yeah, both look- wash each other with love, we'll be fine. We could get off over this if you want <laughs> such a twat. oh my god if only jeez (laughs) i know there'd be some people that's listening going oh my god i totally understand but there'll be other people that is that is listening going i'm going to turn this off now because they're talking about fucking star signs well get over yourself (laughs) did you say you were did you say you were an aries Uh, yes i am just like aretha franklin and hitler but let me read this to you because I, I can read your one, then I'll read my one as well. Okay, nice. I'm so in. it says, um, thuggishly self-absorbed, oh, with no. argumentative, <laughs> obsessed with anything to the point of pessimism. Oh no, that's not me. That's 
That's not me at all. It's, uh, do you say Taurus or Aries? No, Aries, Aries. Oh, I got the wrong person. Wait a minute. Oh, well, there you go. See? No, it this is sense. even worse. Wait. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, Aries. Okay, yeah. so I was right. It says, Fuggishly self-absorbed and argumentative, obsessed with winning to the point of persisting at your own peril. Oh, no. With losing battles, knowing situations and lost causes. And that would be arrogant shell covers up your own crushing self-doubt. Oh, Deep inside, goodness. you don't think you're good enough. All that noise is for show, isn't it? Ah, that is delightful. Let's have the Gemini one. The Gemini one's so awful. I mean, you'll laugh your head off. You're a two-faced petty criminal who delights in others' misfortunes and reveals in scandal and gossip. With friends like Gemini, one doesn't need an enemy, although your friends don't always last that long because you're constantly hunting for better options, partners, a better life, and resentless search for where the grass might greener prevents you from relaxing in your own backyard. Oh, dear. That's not good, is it? I wonder who wrote those. Somebody that's very angry with Geminis and Aries. Some of that is true. I mean, when I read it, I was like, (laughs) Yeah, some of that's true. With friends like these, you don't need enemies. It, I do like gossip. <laughs> I do like gossip. I know it's a terrible, it's a terrible do quality, you? but I do. Yeah, I like gossip. I think we all secretly like gossip. We all try not to, but who doesn't? Especially if it's we juicy. We want to know, don't we? Yeah, yeah we want to know. Even if we might not be the type to share it, we definitely want to know. I can't say that I'm not the type to share. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm never going to tell you a secret, George, ever. <laughs> well, no, if you tell me a secret, it'll probably end up as a lyric. That's that's where those things, they go into lyrics. Yeah, I always think, you know, because I, I always find that people come out with the greatest lines and I think, oh, I've got to write that down. It's become yeah. a running joke in my circle that I'm always that's saying, good. write that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. They say one thing. It's like, right, that's the title. I got it. Have, do you keep a book? Yeah, Do you keep I think a book it's true. with you. No, it's on my iPhone, so it's always it's all technical. So it's like, okay, write this um, down. And well, sometimes nice. I look back and think, what is that about? It's just a load of old gobbledygook. I've even written down in my phone, I've got a phone that hates me. I got a phone that hates me. I mean, come on. <laughs> it could be blues for sure. Yeah, it could you know be blues what? Why or country. Not? Yeah. I got a phone that hates me. Oh my God, yes, that's going to be a tune. <laughs> it's brilliant because with I find with country songs and blues, it's like you can just basically have a chat and then sing it. You can also do that with electro clash or electro music. You can, you can kind of be quite, yeah, electro, like human league, you know, like you can say things like you were working a, as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I met you. You know, it's yeah, yeah. sort of kind of, you can get away with that sort of straight talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you find there's a certain style of music that puts you in a better mood than like something that you pull on every time you feel down or and anything specific? I would say reggae music is usually my go-to for kind of, you know, just, you know, yeah. I've got a playlist on Spotify called Isolation Skank and I'm always nice. adding new things. I forgot about that song. Oh my God. <laughs> You know, just because, you know, reggae is so, so vast and so, mm-hmm. you know, different dimensions. You know, I love it. And I don't know, there's always a song, you know, because I discovered reggae music in the 70s. So mm. I remember that early Lovers Rock, Johnny Nash, um, that kind of stuff. 
I was going to ask you actually about um, reggae because you've made loads of reggae music over the years. And I myself, I love a bit of reggae. Um, I think it's certainly part of our culture just being from England because it's everywhere. It's all over our little island and it's part of our food and water that we eat and drink. Absolutely. But that brings me to the oh so controversial conversation of cultural appropriation, which is my favourite thing in the world. So I think it is extremely important to appreciate so culturally appreciate but now it's cultural appropriation so they've kind of made it into a negative term but it's so important i really do feel it's so important to dip in and out i think it's only a negative term if you choose to look at it like that but amen i would i would say that jamaican culture is british culture you know i have never lived in a world without it i've never ever lived in London without hearing and seeing, you know, black culture, Jamaican culture, particularly West Indian culture, you know, that's what I grew up listening to. Then of course, American soul music. So, you know, all of my heroes are black singers as a kid. Um, So to me, it's something that I've always looked up to. It's something that, you know, as a singer, I remember the first time I ever heard Sly Stone singing. I was a punk rocker Mm. when I heard Sly Stone. My friend Rhonda put on If You Want Me To Stay in her bedroom and I just had a moment of like, wow, what the fuck is this? It's wicked, you know? yeah. And it's that just song in particular, music. If You Want Me To Stay, has no chorus. Yes, you're right. It's no it's chorus. True. If you want me to... Just no chorus. And it just chugs along with such authority and knowingness. And I just think that so many times in my life... I've listened to singers, whether it's Gladys Knight, Barry mm-hmm. White, you know, and of course, Bowie. I've always drawn from every single aspect of every culture. I was in a band called Culture Club. I am yeah. possibly the queen of cultural appropriation, if you want to look at it like that, because, you know, those things have influenced me and still continue to influence me. And I can't, I would say I'm getting more brazen about my reference points, not less. I'm not shying away from them. I'm just saying, you know, I I think you could look at it as cultural influence, not... It's just that term. It's become a very negative term when really it's a very positive thing. Don't deny your own cultural influence, whoever you are, because, you know, know, that's how you leave your mark Mm. on, on society, on the universe. And, you know, my life would be very empty without all of those very important things that have contributed to making me who I am, you know, from reggae music, soul music, punk rock, uh, disco, gay culture, straight culture. Every culture has influenced me. Fashion, anti-fashion, all of it. And long may it continue. Cultural sponges is what we are. It's so true. It's all beautiful. There's all, it's all good. It's all positive. Wash it with love, Joss. Wash Wash it with love. love. (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely. I think it's great. I think that we should continue to do that brazenly, like you say. Don't let people bash that out of you. You know, if you're, if you're living this life on this planet as part of a global world, don't let anybody bash that out of you because you don't have to live in one little tiny spot of it just because somebody is more comfortable with you doing so. I think if you're doing something, if you're doing something from a place of love and respect and, and celebration, right. that's clear. How can it be negative? Well, I think it could be negative if you're if you're maybe sending up someone's faith or or yeah, mocking mocking someone. Yeah, it's the intention, isn't it? That's what matters. 
It is, you know. Yeah. Over the years, I've met so many people that are equally obsessed with like reggae music, you know, the white kids, black kids, you know, whatever. And you just mm-hmm. think, wow, when you meet someone who enjoys the same musical frequency as you, it's such a, a beautiful moment. And it's a link. you can sit and talk about the most obscure reggae records of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an endless source of, of, of inspiration and joy. Mm, it's a connection. It's lovely. Oh, thank you so much for chatting to me today. George. It, was, it was great to talk to you. I think we talked about some important things and it was nice and easy. Yeah, good vibes. All right, well, hopefully I'll come see you soon with a mask on and socially distance, give you a weird air hug. Absolutely. And we should definitely write something together at some point. Up for it. I would love that. All right, gorgeous. Yeah. Cheers. See you later. Bye. I would like to thank our lovely, lovely sponsors, Walida. I used to have the worst skin when I was younger. Honestly, I did. But as you grow older, you learn your own face and you learn what to put on it and what not to. So Walida is a really good choice if you're having any issues with your skin. It certainly is soothing to mine. One of my favourites is the Wild Rose Soothing Cream. It's really nice. I hope that you do get a chance to try it. It's very kind. They make their products in a really kind way and it feels good. So enjoy that. And if you want to learn more about Walida, go to walida.co.uk. All right, on with the show. <laughs> 